Well, it's good to be with you this morning, church. Doing well? Good. As Jeff said, we're uh, going to be in Psalm 111. If you had trouble finding that, just turn to the middle and look for 111, and, and you'll be able to find that. Um, I'm going to take some advice from a mentor of mine. He gave me five B's of preaching. Uh, I try to remember. It's like, be brief, be brief, brother, be brief. So I will, uh, I will try to adhere to that this morning. We're going to be focusing on this uh, concept of uh, remembering. Uh, last week, if you remember, we paused as a country uh, during Memorial Day weekend to remember those who've died in service to the country. Today, for you history buffs, you might remember that this is uh, D-Day, the day that we remember uh, kind of the entrance of America and uh, the continent of Europe to begin to bring closure to World War II. Uh, later on, uh, in, you know, in a month from now, we're going to pause and celebrate uh, Independence Day, right? We remember uh, what happened then. And you know, there'll be a couple other events uh, over the course of the year where we pause and we remember. You know, we not only do that, obviously, as a country, but we also do that personally. Birthdays. Who doesn't love a birthday, right? You know, for the Cliftons, uh, we always, if you have a birthday, you get a special meal. And it's your meal, whatever you want, you get to choose it. For me, I got a birthday coming up. Uh, Linda already knows. It's fried chicken. It's going to be corn on the cob. It's going to be um, some blueberry muffins. And then, obviously, there has to be something green around there, and that's what Linda chooses. You know, and, and maybe you have something like that as well. I don't know how you celebrate. Maybe it's a work anniversary that you celebrate. Maybe um, it's a wedding anniversary or something like that. There's also, obviously, somber um, anniversaries as well that we kind of pause and, and we remember. Maybe remember people, remember um, how we want to honor them in our lives. Israel had a time of remembrance as well. And, and that's what's going to be our focus this morning. Uh, times when God called his people to gather together and to remember what he has done in their midst. So what we're going to do is we're going to find ourselves in Psalm 111 this morning. And this psalm is really a psalm of remembrance. It's a psalm that um, God has called his people to remember the covenant that he's made with them. So what uh, is our tradition here at Maranatha? I want to invite you to stand as we read Psalm 111 together. Let me read God's word into your hearing. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright, in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever and to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Take a seat and I'll pray for us. Holy Father, we have sung your praise. We have offered prayers in your name. 
And now we invite your spirit to open up our minds and our hearts that we might receive your word and learn to glorify your holy name. And now let me invite you to pray for yourself. And your prayer might simply be, God, may I hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're going to take notes this morning, uh, maybe you can uh, use this as a title. Remembering and celebrating God's covenant with us. Remembering and celebrating God's covenant with us. So this Psalm 111, it's interesting how it's constructed. Uh, If you uh, knew the Hebrew language, you would instantly see that each line in this um, 22 verses, these 22 lines, each line starts with a successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. You know, for us in English, it would start with A and then B and then C and then D, right? You get the point. There'd be 26 of those lines, right? For the Hebrews, there was 22 lines. It was used in a way to help remind people, to help them memorize, and if you will, God's covenant with his people. It's written as a hymn. Uh, this hymn, this psalm, would have been sung during Israel's festivals. Any festival over the course of the year, this probably would have been one of the hymns that would have been sung. It was likely written also during the post-exilic period. It, if you will, just probably maybe a contemporary of Malachi, that book that we just studied that prophet Malachi, it was likely written in that same time frame. Jeff spoke about uh, covenant a couple of weeks ago and that this is what this psalm really centers on. Uh, Jeff said that he compared it to a contract where a contract, if you remember, is something that's temporary. It's, it's usually done by equals, where a covenant is something that's more permanent. It's more lasting. That, that's really what a covenant is. And if I can add to that, O. Palmer Robertson defined covenant in this way. It's a bond in blood sovereignly administered. A bond in blood sovereignly administered. So this, when it says a bond that's made in blood, you can tell it has some kind of permanence to it, right? It, it, it's not something that's going to be entered into casually. It's It involves a sacrifice, if you will. And then if it's sovereignly administered, that means that it's established by one who's in authority. It's not equals, right? There's someone who's greater, and then obviously someone who's less. So this big idea, that this idea of the covenant... That, that God is establishing and that the psalmist is reminding his people, the people of Israel would have understood this because they were a people of covenant. They thought in terms of covenant. Their whole history was one of covenant, that God had established a covenant with his people. If we go all the way back to Adam, the, the start of that covenant was with Adam. In, in, in Genesis 3.15 is, is the first instance that we see the gospel. Right? That, that was the, the Edemic covenant. And then it happened again with Noah in Genesis 9. We know the story about the flood. And then God promised never to flood the earth again. 
And then if, if we go just a few chapters later to Abraham, and in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, God makes clear that he's going to establish his government, that he will bless all nations through Abraham. And then if we hop down and we continue to go to Moses, and that's Exodus 20 and the giving of the law, that this is the, the law that's going to shape this people. That's, he, it was given in terms of covenant. And then if we go down to, to 2 Samuel 7 and, and King David, God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, David, that your throne will endure forever. That... that that your descendants will sit on this throne forever. And it all culminates in this new covenant that's sealed in Jesus Christ. See, from the beginning, God's plan was to bring a people to himself, <laughs> to the praise of his glory. That, that these covenants, if you will, it was driving towards culminating this promise that God had all the way from creation that he will be their God and, and he will make his dwelling among them and that he's going to wipe away every tear and there's going to be no more darkness of night. This, if you will, is the mission of God. A, a God whose mission is to bring from every tribe, every ethnicity, every language group, together into his family, that from beginning to end, this is what God's about. <laughs> so that's the introduction. <laughs> and so this psalm starts off with this. Praise the Lord. In the Hebrew, if I could teach you Hebrew really quick, in the Hebrew, it's actually two words. It's halu and yah. We say that all the time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, that's actually what it means. Hallu means praise, and Yah is Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the name that God gave to Moses to say, this is who I am. This is, this is my personal name that you can give to Israel. This is the God of the covenant. Anytime you see in the Bible, Lord in capital letters, that's Yahweh. So this psalm starts off, praise Yahweh. And it's said in the imperative, meaning it's a command. It's not a suggestion. They're being told to praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. And what's their response? I'm going to give thanks to Yahweh with my whole heart. That's what it says. With my innermost being. Not half my heart, not kind of going through the motions. That's what, remember, if you've been here during the series in Malachi, that's what Israel was struggling with right now. Half-hearted worship, unengaged hearts, distracted, checking boxes, kind of showing up, doing it, but not really feeling it. It's a kind of worship that Yahweh doesn't receive. It's a kind of worship that does not honor him. It's, it's kind of like leftovers. 
It's, it's, it's what you kind of serve that you didn't give much effort to. You kind of gave effort to it earlier in the week, but right now, you just kind of warm it up in the microwave, and it's good enough. That's not what honors Yahweh. And so this psalmist, he ushers in, in verse 2, look at that. He says this, great are the works of the Lord. So he's going to continue to drive forward and continue to give emotion to this. There's a laboratory in England uh, set in Cambridge University, one of the most prestigious universities um, in the world. And this laboratory, the Cavendish Laboratory, was established in 1874. And if you can imagine, you know, 1874 and how this uh, laboratory was built, it was, uh, think of these, uh, a, a magnificent structure in this world-class university, and, and inside these doors, uh, for a hundred years, it closed in 1974, inside those hundred years, this laboratory produced 29 Nobel laureates. We're talking about people who discovered electrons, neutrons, the structure of DNA, things that you know, we hear about if we took eighth grade science classes. These are the people who actually discovered it. And what's interesting, the doors to this laboratory, these heavy English oak doors, inscribed on those doors is verse 2 of Psalm 111. Now, obviously, it's inscribed in Latin because these people are really smart and they know Latin. All right? But it says this, Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. For a hundred years, scientists, physicists, chemists, brilliant men and women pushed on those doors, looking up, able to read, you know, because they're smart, able to read this verse. And the psalmist was calling them to ponder, to meditate, to consider the works of God. Friends, that's what God calls us to. God calls us to ponder, to meditate, to seek with care, to investigate all that he has done. From from the smallest molecule to, to the grandeur of a mountain, in natural and redemptive history, God calls us to remember his work. Well, how do you do this? How do you do this in a culture that is so fast-paced? With all these things that fly at us all day long, every day, you have to downshift. You have to intentionally slow down pace of life. You have to be willing to hit pause and reflect. Blaise Pascal, a famous French philosopher, once said that most of our problems come from our inability to sit still. (laughs) Isn't that true? Do you you feel that true in your life sometimes? 
Dan Webster, who is an author, pastor, leadership consultant, a friend who's influenced me a lot in my uh, leadership thinking, he said there's advantages to people who enjoy action. You, you get a lot done, right? But in the midst of getting that done, the downside is you tend to lose touch with what's really going inside of you, going inside the people that you lead, and most importantly, you can lose touch with God and your relationship with him. You get a lot done, but you might be missing the more important things. Dan says that downshifting is caring enough about our relationship with God that we consistently present ourselves to him and to receive his love. It means being present in a relationship. It means being engaged and not distracted. Not half-hearted, but all of me. It's like when your spouse maybe is, is talking with you or a good friend, and maybe you are distracted. Maybe you're not fully engaged. You know, you're thinking about other things. How does that work for you? you know, I know how, it doesn't work well for me. You know, Linda wants me to be all there and engaged in that conversation. And so does God. God doesn't want me checking boxes. God doesn't want a distracted Scott in my times with him. He wants me to downshift my life, to pause, to reflect, to consider all the works that he has done. So the psalmist presses on. And look at verse uh, 3 to 5 with me. He says this, Full of splendor and majesty is his work. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. You see, the psalmist is at 30,000 feet. He's saying all the way from the beginning, all the way from Adam, all the way through David, right? That's this covenantal history. Look at what your Lord God has done. Consider all of this of what he has done. His works are wondrous. They're full of splendor and majesty. And this God is not a distant God. See, the psalmist uses language that he's gracious. He's compassionate. Those are, those are relational terms. He's not this unengaged deity. I, Isaiah says it this way. Um, he says, For thus the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, he says, I dwell in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Why? So that I might revive the spirit of the lowly. And I might revive the heart of the contrite. This is who your God is. This is the God of the covenant. He remembers his covenant. And his covenant is with people, his people. And therefore, he remembers his people. That means he remembers you. That means he knows you. sees you. Loves you. Do you hear that this morning? Can you receive that this morning? 
See, the psalmist is organizing this to help Israel remember who have kind of shifted into this apathetic worship, this kind of going through the motions, half-hearted, not really there, checking boxes. He's helping people remember what God has done. And then he goes from 30,000 feet and he drops all the way down. And he goes all the way down to ground level and with laser focus, he centers in on one aspect of redemptive history. Look at verse 6 to 8. He says this, He has shown his people the power of his works. How? How has he done it? In giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Now, the Jews, the Israelites, they would have heard clearly that this is taking them back to the speech that Moses gave right before they were about to enter the promised land. That's what they would have heard. They would have remembered that speech that started in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 8, where Moses uh, said in chapter 9, he says, Hear, O Israel, you are about to cross over the Jordan today to go in and possess nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven. That's dispossessed the nations that the psalmist summed up that whole, that whole chapter. He, sent, he summed it up in a phrase. But that's what Israel would have heard. And then if we go back to chapter 8 in Deuteronomy, it says this, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules, his statutes. Those are the, the precepts. Those, those are the, that's, that's the psalmist language. It, it says, don't forget his precepts. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gave you power to get wealth and to confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers. This is one of the great narratives of all scripture. It it reminded the people that God established all the way from Abraham, he established a people to himself. And then even through slavery in Egypt, he raised up a whole nation out of Egypt, walked and journeyed with them for 40 years in the wilderness, brought them in to the promised land and allowed them to get established there and then gave them laws which would uh, govern them and, and kind of give them an opportunity to reflect his glory and his character to a watching world. And then the psalmist continues to go on and it's like he's saying, if you've ever doubted God's love, because remember, these people were going through apathy because they they felt like God was there and then and I'm here and now and you know God did that back then but he's not doing much now you know we're kind of here but nothing much is happening and so the psalmist said look at verse 9 with me he sent redemption to his people he's commanded his covenant forever wow One of the greatest works is God rescuing his people from the oppression of sin and doing this in context of his covenant. 
See, God remembers his covenant. He swore it, and he says he'll never turn back on it. His promise, his character is one that he will never fall back on his promises. He provided redemption for his people, and they were delivered. You know, see, for us, it might seem like there and then. You know, I, I believe that. It's in the Bible. I have no, no issues with that. But Scott, here and now. Here and now, not so much. I, I don't really feel part of those epic stories. I, I don't doubt that they're true. But for me, it's kind of life is just happening. Friends, I need to remind you this morning that we all have a sacred story. That, that even though that that might feel remote, that that might feel like their story, it's really part of our story because we're connected because it's all part of his story. And we're part of his story. So that is part of our story. And God has not stopped working. God is even working right now. He is working in your life. Well, you might be thinking, come on, I don't feel that. I haven't part of the Red Sea recently. You know, I'm not experiencing that much. You know, it's, it's kind of like the supervisor has promised, maybe he or she has promised things to you and hasn't delivered. Maybe you're in a relationship, maybe married, and, you know, it's, it kind of somehow shifted into neutral. It doesn't have that sizzle anymore. You know, it's not off the rails, but it's, it's just it's not, not what it used to be. Maybe you've been praying for a year, maybe more than a year, and just for clarity in your life. God, where do you want me to go? What's next? And you're faithful in those prayers. You still feel like it's a fog. I'm here to remind you this morning that God remembers you. That God knows you. God sees you. God loves you. Because he's faithful to his covenant that he's made with you. See, God didn't save you to put you on a shelf. Right? He saved you. He saved me. Why? To be part of this mission. To be part of this overarching plan that started all the way back with Adam and is carried all the way through, through Noah, through Abraham, through Moses, through David, to Jesus, to us standing on the other side. We're all part of this epic story, and God is unfolding his plan and purpose through us today. See, God commanded that his covenant would be made forever. It's irrevocable. That God is calling a people to himself from every tongue, from every ethnicity, every, every country around this world. Why? So that we will know him and return glory to him. That's this bond in blood that's been sovereignly administered. And it was sovereignly administered. This bond of blood was sealed for us on the cross by Jesus. Jesus gave his own blood on the cross to seal this covenant with us. 
This covenant is now realized through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, and it was sovereignly administered. So we all have this God story. We're all part of it. We might not fully realize it because maybe we have a hard time downshifting in our life. Maybe we have a hard time slowing down and reflecting and considering and investigating with care. God, what have you done? Not what have you just done recently, but let me think back. What have you done last year and five years and 10 and 50, 20, some of us for 30 years, 40 years, right? Let's go back. Let's, let's consider not just what have you done recently, God, but how have you been faithful? And that should encourage you. So how does the psalmist conclude? He says this. He begins to pivot. You see, this Psalm 111 is really attached to Psalm 112. If Psalm 111 is all about you know, remembering and celebrating God's covenant, well, then Psalm 112 is all about, well, how does a godly man or woman respond to that? So these are attached. And so the psalmist begins to pivot, and he says in, in verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. So the psalmist begins to help people begin to consider, how do I respond to this covenant-keeping, this covenant-making God? That it really happens when we begin to fear in a right way, in a holy way, Yahweh. And he says that's the beginning of wisdom. That when we come to grips with this truth, that he is God, that his works are great, that he has established his covenant, and that we're part of that covenant, that he promises to keep that covenant. When we realize that, And that the outworking of all this is love, his strength, his wisdom, his foresight, his will. When we come to grips with that, we will turn and continue to strengthen our faith. It's hard, right? We can miss the point of all that God is doing because sometimes we can allow our life to get busy. We can, uh, it's easy to miss when we don't feel close to him. How much we're, we're lacking because we don't downshift our life and to reflect and respond. But let me encourage you that because God is faithful to his covenant, he knows you. God hears you. God sees you. God loves you. So may it be said of us that we will be a people that remember and celebrate his covenant with us. Let's pray. Father, your name is holy. Your name is to be praised. And so I I pray that the things that were from you this morning, I pray that they will be remembered. 
that they will be uh, held on to and that you would use those things to shape our lives, that we would respond to you. And those things that were from me would be quickly forgotten so that in you, you might receive all praise and glory. We give you thanks for this covenant that you gave us through Jesus. We thank you that you are still working out your great plan to fulfill your promise to bring a people to yourself to the glory of your praise. And we'll give you thanks in your name. Amen.